Now today, it's pretty interesting, the guy that we're talking about, for the simple fact that I don't think we've ever done an episode in New Jersey. And this particular case features a guy that almost got away with murder. I mean, he was free for a very long time after the crimes took place, but he did eventually die in prison. And today we're talking about a fella by the name of John List. And the reason this name stands out to me is because one of my favorite comedians as of these days is Joe List. And I wonder how common that last name is because it feels like when I've, I've never met anybody named List. I only know of the comedian, so who knows? It's very possible. Does he talk about it? Has anybody ever asked him? I don't know. But it is curious to think that there was this guy who did these things and now there's a, a famous, a more famous comedian out there with a very, very similar name. So like I said, we're talking about John List. Let's dive into this. It's going to be a wild ride. We've yet to have anybody commit such a heinous crime and nearly get away with it. I believe we've talked about Robert Fisher, who I believe is still at large. And uh, he. it's very similar. These crimes are very similar. So right now, John List, we're heading to Westfield, New Jersey. Now, John Emil List, John Emil, E-M-I-L, List, was born September 27, 1925. So, old, old man. Uh, when he was finally captured, he was well into his six, uh, 60s and 70s. Old man. Um, he ended up passing away March 21st, 2008, at the age of 82 in Trenton, New Jersey. But he was born in Bay City, Michigan. And uh, it is a county of, Bay City is in Bay County, which is in uh, Michigan. It's located near the base of Saginaw Bay on Lake Huron. Uh, as of the 2010 census, the city's population was 34,000. And it's the principal city of the Bay City Metropo uh, Metropolitan Statistical Area, which is included in the Saginaw Midland Bay City Combined Statistical Area. So there you go, 34,000 Bay City. Uh, it was settled in 1837. The mayor's Kathleen Newsham. And uh, it seems to be, uh, as, as far as the way it looks, it's probably a relatively nice place. Uh, as of 2010, like we said, 34,000 people. You could imagine that out of the families and the households in general that were living there, There's 89% white people, 3.5% black, 0.6% Native American, 0.5% uh, Asian, and 1.8% from <clears throat> other races. So that just seems like they're just like, well, that's enough. We're not gonna, we're not gonna keep writing about this. That seems like enough numbers, right? Kind of how I feel. So John List, born in Bay City, Michigan, he was the only child of German-American parents, John Frederick List and Alma Barbara Florence List. So you got a lot of names there, Alma. Now, like his father, List was a devout Lutheran and a Sunday school teacher. And if you could see a picture of this guy, you could have almost predicted that he did something in the system for the city, whether it be a substitute teacher or 
you know, some, some, something working in the government with people teaching in a sense, if that makes, if that makes any sense at all. He, he just looks like the one, uh, the one substitute teacher that every school would get and you would treat like shit. Like he looks like if Doc Brown turned into Walter White, right? Like he, he, instead of him going back to the future and discovering time, time travel, he discovered, uh, the proper formula to create meth. Now, being a devout Lutheran and Sunday school teacher, in 1943, he enlisted in the US, uh, United States Army, and he served in the infantry as a laboratory technician during World War II. So again, looking at this list, fella, you can only look at him and think, well, yeah, this guy does something with a microscope. He just looks like a giant nerd. I mean, even his earlier pictures, once he's locked up and he's in prison, he looks even more like a crazy scientist. Like, he looks like a villain in a really shitty comic book. Like, the first villain, they couldn't be super creative, so they were like, hey, how about a mad scientist? Well, that's what he looks like. After his discharge in 1946, List enrolled at the University of uh, Michigan, which is in Ann Arbor. In fact, I lived in Ann Arbor for some time. And he earned a bachelor's degree in business administration and a master's degree in accounting. And he was commissioned a second lieutenant through ROTC. So a guy who seems to have an idea of a future in his mind, but also seems to kind of want to get away. No time at home. He just wants to get out of there and, and live his life. That's fair to, fair to assess right now. And he's, he's working for the people. Not just himself. He becomes a he gets a degree in business administration and accounting. So he's looking to what seems like start a, a, a his own business. Now, in November of 1950, as the Korean War escalated, List was recalled to active military service. Now, while he was at Fort Eustis in Virginia, he met Helen Morris Taylor, who was the widow of an infantry officer killed in action in Korea, and she lived nearby with her daughter Brenda. So he's out there, he's uh, fighting for the country, he gets discharged, he meets a lovely woman who has a child from a previous relationship, and you have to guess, you have to assume, he might have known the guy that she was with previously, right? Otherwise, how would he have met her? Now, in 1951, December 1st of 1951, they do get married in Baltimore, Maryland, and then the family moves to Northern California. So not only does this guy, not only does John List meet this woman, they get married in Baltimore and then move all the way to the West Coast in California. The Army then realized that List had very good accounting skills and they reassigned him to the Finance Corps. And the long and short of the Finance Corps is simply, it's a combat service support branch of the U.S. Army. The Finance Corps is the successor to the old Pay Department which was created in June of 1775. The finance department was created by law on July 1st of 1920. It became the Finance Corps in 1950. It is responsible for financial operations, most notably payroll and resource management. It's the smallest branch of the Army. So they trust him with, with funds, with monies. 
you know he's out there controlling all of these these soldiers uh incomes and uh after completion of his second tour in 1952 list worked for an accounting firm in detroit so now they've went from northern california to detroit and then he eventually becomes an audit supervisor at a paper company in kalamazoo so staying in michigan back to his hometown his home state at the very least and uh you know he seems to be financially okay being able to travel this much being able to have a consistent pay uh work coming in due to uh what he is doing he's able to go around and see the world he's traveling he's on his own he's independent and he's taking care of a family that features a kid that's not even his right so that's that's impressive so far impressive so far but we wouldn't be talking about him if he was that great of a guy. That's not what this show is about. Now, while he's in Kalamazoo, he has three more children. And by 1959, List had risen to general supervisor of the company's accounting department. So once again, in charge of the money. Now, Helen, who was an alcoholic, had become increasingly unstable... In 1960, Brenda married and left the household, which was the daughter, uh, uh, Helen's daughter. She gets married and leaves. And List finally removes the remainder of his family to Rochester, New York. So look at all these places he's going and the ability to just pick up and leave. Nothing tying him down. And uh, when he's in Rochester, he takes a job with Xerox. And we've heard of this company. It's a large printing company. What, like they make paper or something? I don't know. We know what Xerox is. Uh, he eventually became director of the accounting service, once again, in the money. And in 1965, List accepted a position as vice president and computer, and excuse me, comptroller at a bank in New Jersey, in, in Jersey City, New Jersey, where he moved with his wife, children, and mother into the Breeze Knoll, a 19-room Victorian mansion at, the four, at 431 Hillside Avenue in Westfield. So... Being born in Michigan, the small town of Michigan, wherever that was again, I can't remember. Um, you know, Bay City, Michigan, not a, not a large population. But then he moves to Hillside Avenue in Westfield, New Jersey. And the one thing that we can automatically already say about Westfield is it has a smaller population than Bay City, where he was born. But it is in the highest, in one of the highest income cities anywhere in the United States so they make some money in Westfield they continue to make money I'm sure it's even more it's just a beautiful place to live today I mean let alone 10 years ago Westfield is ranked as in the 99th highest income place in the United States it has the 18th highest income in New Jersey according to 24. 14 nationwide survey Westfield was ranked as the 30th safest city to live in the United States so that's pretty high that's one of the highest things the fact that it's one of the safest places top 30 those are good numbers they look really good now we've learned a lot about this uh this John List fella we've learned that he is independent he went out on his own he left his family to enlist in the army He's very good with numbers and money. He seems to be doing very, very well for himself, moving into a very large Victorian mansion in, in one of the highest income places of all the U.S. But 
obviously things were not all great. And that's what we're here to talk about. So, let's get into the nitty-gritty of this episode. Let's get into the, the grim parts of this podcast. And uh, let's start talking about what John List did to become a part of American Crimes history. So obviously John's not a great guy. We can we can already imagine this just because he's on the show. But from what we've already been hearing and what we've read about is it seemed like everything was fine. Outside of the fact that his wife had an alcohol problem, it seemed like he was doing everything he could to maintain a regular household, a normal place for his kids to grow up. Because Brenda got in and out, she ended up moving on, having her own family and he's still somehow able and managing moving from one place to the next and getting these amazing jobs making money good enough money to survive to live a lavish lifestyle in fact to move into a mansion you're obviously making decent money especially in the town that they're in it's one of the safest places in the u.s and that's as of 2015 Imagine how safe it was in the 70s. I mean, it, it could have been much better. It could have been the same, but it couldn't have been worse. So let's talk about what happened in November 9th of 1971. Liss went on to methodically murder his entire immediate family using his own 9mm and his father's Colt 22 caliber revolver. While his children were at school, he shot his wife, Helen, who was 46, in the back of the head, and then his mother, Alma, who was 84, above the left eye. As his daughter, Patricia, who was 16, and younger son, Frederick, who was 13, arrived home from school, List went on to shoot each of them in the back of the head. Now, after making himself lunch, List drove to his bank to close both his and his mother's bank accounts, and then to Westfield High School to watch his elder son, John Jr., who was 15, play a soccer game. Now, after driving John Jr. home, List shot him repeatedly because, as misfire evidence later showed, his son attempted to defend himself. So, totally premeditated, fully premeditated plan to take out his entire family. I mean, the kids, the wife and the mother and we did a story recently on a kid who killed his stepmom and three brothers but this was a grown adult this is a grown adult who chose to be married to this particular woman as well as have these kids and to go watch the fucking soccer game and still go home and kill your final living blood relative is absolutely a lack of judgment 100% because all of that time of watching the soccer game and then having to shoot him multiple times at some point it should have clicked in your head hey this is not a good idea this is all bad it's all bad there is no future for me after this List went on and placed the bodies of his wife and children in sleeping bags in the mansion's ballroom. He left his mother's body in her apartment in the attic. In a five-page letter to his pastor, 
that was found on his desk in his study, List wrote that he saw too much evil in the world and he had killed his family to save their souls. Now keep in mind, this is something we've, we hear a lot from these people that kill their whole family. They think they're doing it for a, a dignified reason. We don't want them to see the evil that we saw. The world is all bad. I, I helped them out. And truth be told, that, that can't be the case. And you should let them be the one to decide that. So he, he then went on to uh, clean the various crime scene areas. He carefully cut his own picture out of every family photo in the house, turned on a radio to a religious station, and departed. So if you see this happen, I mean, knowing that he's the only survivor, that should point fingers at him directly. Oh, he's the only one that survived? Well, we need to find him and talk to him. So depending on how long this takes before somebody notices that there's no activity going on at the house and cops come, how long is that period of time for him to go off and get away with it, essentially? Where nobody can find him. Nobody can identify him. What's the time limit? That's what it's all about. It's all about time. So if they sit in the house for weeks on end... He's going to have a much better shot of being that much further away. You also have to say, if this guy believed that the world was so evil and so bad, why did he take, and he's saving them, why didn't he take his own life? Why take all of their lives to spare them of the evil, but he's like, I'll just ride it out. I can deal with it. Save them from, after 15 years at least. And now Brenda is living without anybody. Even the, the person that she thought was like a, a stepfather is gone, and her real dad died in, at war. It's like, you, you don't think about those things until after it's over with. You're like, dude, that's an obvious bullshit statement considering you're here. If you believe that there's all this evil and people shouldn't have to experience it, why are you here? You killed everybody else to spare them, but you, you're like, oh, I'm fine. I got it. Not a problem for me, but them, they can't handle it. They are my offspring, but of course they can't handle it. I'll be fine, though. Like, what the hell? That doesn't make any sense. Your argument falls apart on itself right there. Now, had he killed himself and his whole family, then if he, he had some written letter that said, yeah, I'm sparing everybody from the evil of the world, you could be like, oh... You'd make more sense of it. But now, you because he's alive, you know he's fucking lying. That's bullshit. And to be honest, I always hate when you hear about somebody who attempts to defend themselves in situations like this. I hate when it's a kid and you do find out later that they did try to save themselves. Because you're like, damn it. If only they fucking had. You just want them to had either survived or done something so altering to this person that there's no way they get away with the crime. But as we further along in this story, you're going to hear that it doesn't work out. It doesn't work out. And when you when you hear about the the kid who ends up I, I'm imagine I'm imagining he probably saw something when he got to the house that was like, "Oh dad, that's weird." And then his dad tries to kill him and he tries to survive. Like I said, you just hope that Obviously, we know now that he didn't survive, but damn it, at least one time when they fight back, you'd like to be like, yeah, the dude tried to kill me, and I survived. I did everything I could to survive, and he ended up dying instead of me. 
it's such a rare occurrence that that, that that happens, but those are the stories you'd prefer. And keep in mind as well, these crimes took place in a city where they have a very low crime rate, one of the lowest in the United States. And this crime consisted of kids being killed. Like, what, what's going on? They had to shake up the entire city. And when you're in a when you're in a city like this, you can guarantee one thing for sure. There's going to be a, no, a nosy neighbor. Now, which neighbor? We can't say for sure, but there's always one. There's always one lady who's paying too much attention to what the fuck is going on that doesn't concern her. Now, sometimes those ladies pay off, and they help solve a crime. But when it's like when it's as plain as day. It's simple like this. It's put together very simple for the officers. You can sit here and say, well, he's the only survivor. It has to be him. At the very least, we need to talk to him so we can rule him out. We can get him out of the lineup. We can stop saying it's probably the father that killed the whole family, right? But they can't get a hold of him. And the murders weren't, weren't even discovered until December 7th, nearly a month later. And this was due in part to the family's reclusiveness and refusal to socialize. So they were already a family that was very in tune with themselves and not with the people around them. So even the nosy neighbor wasn't concerned with the lack of activity. So because they, they didn't socialize and in part to the notes sent by the uh, list to the children's schools and part-time jobs stating that the children would not be visiting their maternal grandmother in that they would be visiting their maternal grandmother in North Carolina. So he says, hey, I'm going to put out all this information so that way nobody comes looking for them. We're going to be in North Carolina. Now, Helen's mother was ill and had to cancel a visit to Westfield because of it. And she had made it. She had made the trip. Had she had made the trip, List later said she would have been the sixth victim saying that she would have died too. So, geez, he was not willing to... He was taking everybody out with no remorse. Uh, neighbors noticed that List also stopped asking uh, for milk, mail, and newspaper deliveries. Uh, all the mansion's rooms were illuminated day and night with no apparent activity in them. And after light bulbs began burning out one by one, they finally called the police. So somebody was watching. One of these neighbors was paying attention. They were seeing these lights on. It got weird because they were on during the day, the middle of the night, all of these random hours. But it did take, it took that long for them to be like, oh, oh, the lights are burning out. Well, somebody's not there. So police were called. The investigators came. They did an outside search of Breeze Knoll, which was the Victorian mansion. And they found nothing at first. And the local residents had officially believed that the List family had indeed decided on an extended vacation. But on the night of December 7th, police were again called to the house where they found Patricia List's drama coach. So she's trying to be an actress. And uh, he's standing outside the front door yelling, at, uh, yelling out her name. And he was convinced uh, that something was very wrong. And he told the police officers that they should enter through an unlocked window that he found that led to the basement, where they eventually find the murdered victims in the ballroom. Now, as we said earlier, Westfield, ranking in the highest of least crime of any city, there were no violent crimes in Westfield since 1963. So this is eight years later where an actual crime receives national attention, 
and it becomes the site of the most notorious felony in New Jersey since the kidnapping and murder of the Lindbergh baby. So that's very publicized. A nationwide manhunt was launched. Police investigators and hundreds had hundreds of leads without success. All reliable photographs of List had been destroyed. The family car was found parked at the JFK airport in New York City, but there was no evidence that he had boarded a flight. So he obviously had a different name. That didn't help them further their investigation. Alma's body, which was the grandmother, was flown to Frankenmuth, Frankenmuth, Michigan? I don't know how to say that, but yes, flown to Michigan and interred at the St. Lorenz Lutheran Cemetery. Helen and her three children were buried at Fairview Cemetery in Westfield. Now, the Breeze Knoll property remained empty until it was destroyed by arson in August of 72, nine months after the murders, a crime that remains officially unsolved. So, I would imagine the people in the town, in that area, came together in one of their secret meetings in a basement somewhere and decided that place had to go. Now, this was, uh, the home was destroyed along with the ballroom stained glass skylight, which was rumored to be a signed Tiffany original worth at least hundred grand at the time, equivalent to 610000 in 2019. So the whole reason for this also was the fact that they were behind on money. They needed money. And they went out of their way. He went out of his way, killed the family, and yet they had a, a skylight worth way more than they could have imagined. Like, what the... I mean, the improper thinking, of course. A new house was built on this site in 1974. So that's got to be an interesting place to have a home, to call it your home. Very scary situation. And then the fact that they didn't catch anybody. They also didn't find out who burnt the house down. And I'm sure they didn't investigate very hard because like a lot of murder locations, people just want it gone. They don't want someone else to try to move in and make it habitable and create a family or what, you know, those things that you do when you have a house. So, of course, John List at this point is still on the run, hasn't been found. Where is he? What's he doing? What's his life been like since this happened? Is he the one that burned down the house? Did he come back? Let's find out some more here on American Crimes. We are all from a place where secrets are everywhere. Whether it's unsolved true crimes, urban legends, or ghost stories, here at Dead Town, nothing is off the limits. Every episode, we dive into the pits of the obscure. Deadtown combines horror with comedy to bring you the most interesting and entertaining topics in the most digestible way. Join in with your own stories by contacting the show at yourdeadtown at gmail.com. Now gather up your friends, turn on the lights, because you won't want to listen alone. Welcome to Deadtown. Let's get curious. So in 1971, as the FBI later discovered, List had traveled by train from New Jersey to Michigan. So he went back home, headed back to his hometown, headed back to his home state, I would say. 
And, of course, you would imagine people recognized him, but they didn't know that he committed a crime. So what, would, what reason would they have to say anything? He then went to Colorado, where he settled in Denver in early 1972. He took an accounting job as Robert Peter Bob Clark. So his nickname was Bob, but his, he went by Robert Peter Clark. Like, what the fuck? A lot of names, very common, I'd say. Uh, the name of one of his college classmates was also exactly this name. Although, the real Bob Clark later asserted that he had never known List. So this guy probably just saw this other kid who was much cooler than him, hanging out with people, and he's like, oh, I wish I could be like Robert Peter Bob Clark. You know, he's the cool guy. From 1979 to 1986, he was the controller at a paper box manufacturer outside Denver. So he spent quite a bit of time there, and nobody knew anything. No one was the wiser of what he had actually done. He went on to join a Lutheran congregation and ran a carpool for a shut-in church members. At one religious uh, gathering, he met an Army PX clerk named Dolores Miller and married her in 1985. So pretty weird for him to say that he, he killed his other family because the world was so bad, but he can go and marry somebody else? Like, dude, your, your argument, once again, is crashing and burning as we speak. Uh, the couple moved to a place in Virginia in February of 1988. So again, coast to coast, he's traveling lots of miles and somehow getting these jobs super fast and typically working with somebody's money. But he married this woman with the same name of Bob Clark, where in Virginia he once again resumed work as an accountant. Now, in May of 1989, the 18-year-old crime was recounted on the Fox television program, America's Most Wanted. We've all heard of the show. It was a big deal when I was growing up, and I know for certain that they helped catch many of these bad guys. A segment featured an age-progressed clay bust sculpted forensic artist Frank Bender, who turned out to bear a close resemblance to List's actual appearance. On June 1st, Less than two weeks after the broadcast of this sculpture of uh, the, what John List would look like as an older man, List was arrested at a Richmond accounting firm after a Denver neighbor recognized the description and alerted authorities. So they must have done a, a stellar job on this reconstruction. Now, after List is arrested, he continued to stand by his alias for several months even after extradition to Union County, New Jersey, in late 89. Finally facing irrefutable evidence, including a fingerprint match with List military records, and then with evidence found at the crime scene, he confessed his true identity on February 16, 1990. At a trial, List testified that his financial difficulties reached crisis level in 1971, which you have to think, uh, how is that possible? You were getting these amazing jobs working with money and you couldn't figure out how to manage your own money? That does, doesn't make any sense. He was laid off in 71, the closure of the Jersey City Bank, 
to avoid sharing this humiliating development with his family, he spent each workday sitting at the Westfield train station. Now, we've heard of this before where it's like uh, people, men used to be so ashamed of losing a job that they would still get, they would still get up and go do something else to pretend that they were going to their job. And this is what John List was doing and his family was falling for it. But apparently, he was losing money. He would actually skim money from his mother's bank accounts to avoid defaulting on his mortgage. It's like, well, shouldn't she be helping anyways if she lives there? Now, a court-appointed psychiatrist testified that List suffered from an OCD and he saw only two solutions to his situation, except welfare or kill his family and send their souls to heaven. So that, I don't know if that's part of the, like, scripture in, in any religion, where it's like, oh, just kill your family, and that'll be better. So welfare was actually the unacceptable option. He reasoned this because it would expose him and his family to ridicule and violate his authoritarian father's teachings regarding the care and protection of family members. So he was upset that his dad was going to be upset with him and thought that, let's just take your grandchildren and rid them of the world instead of fix, like, asking for help? Like, what the, what? Hard to understand. So he's worried dad's going to be upset at him and that's why he, another reason why he thinks that he should do this instead of welfare. Now, on April 12, 1990, List was convicted of five counts of first-degree murder, as he should be. At his sentencing hearing, he denied direct responsibility for his actions, as the crazy do. He said that, and I quote, I feel that because of my mental state at the time, because of the mental state at the time, I was unaccountable for what happened. I ask all affected by this for their forgiveness, understanding, and prayer. Like, wow, man, not gonna happen. Um, the judge was unpersuaded. Uh, Johnny Mill List is without remorse, the honor said. And after 18 years, 5 months, and 22 days, it is now time for the voices of Helen, Alma, Patricia, Frederick, and John F. List to rise from the grave. End quote. That's the quote from the judge. He says uh, he, he ends up going on to impose a sentence of five, uh, 5 terms of life imprisonment to be served consecutively the maximum permissible penalty at the time and very well deserved list uh, of course went on to immediately file an appeal because why not uh, it was on the grounds that his judgment had been impaired by post-traumatic stress disorder like come on dude what do you what why, do, why would you even think that that's an option what makes you think that that makes any sense for this at all if anything insanity maybe because none of this makes any sense. To kill your whole family because you're worried about welfare and then to go on to marry somebody else but also keep your own life. It doesn't make any sense. That's insane. But to say that you had PTSD due to the military service and that's why everybody had to go? Maybe. But also that should have been the first thing. You should have been talking to somebody well before this ever happened. Now, he also argued that a letter he left behind at the crime scene essentially was his confession, was a confidential communication to his pastor, and therefore inadmissible as evidence, which I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, the federal appeals court rejected both arguments, so apparently it's not a thing. 
List eventually expressed a degree of remorse for his crimes, saying, and I quote, I wish I had never done what I did. I regretted my action and prayed for forgiveness ever since, as he should be, but also know that it didn't make any sense. And it is very, very horrible, and you should only be in prison forever. Now, when asked by Connie Chung in 2002 why he had not taken his own life, as I had priorly mentioned, he said he believed that suicide would have bar uh, barred him from heaven, where he hoped to be reunited with his family. Bullshit, man. So suicide doesn't get you in, but murder does? Murder does. Murder gets you into heaven. That's a new one. List does finally die from pneumonia at the age of 82. So he gets to live a very long life, killing his 15-year-old, 13-year-old, like, just children. What the fuck? And he dies in custody on March 21st, 2008, at the St. Francis Medical Center in Trenton, New Jersey. Reporting his death, the New Jersey Star Ledger referred to him as the Boogeyman of Westfield. And that he most certainly is, if not more like a demon. So this is where things like America's Most Wanted and keeping evidence come into play. Because America's Most Wanted brought a lot of these cases to the public and they, they certainly used the benefit of technology to help age some of these photographs of, of people that had committed crimes years prior. And thankfully that helped in this case, but had it not been for the thumbprint, who knows what the results would have been to be able to match him up because he did try to go by the same name, the Robert, Peter Parker, you know, whatever it was. So he could, who knows, he could have gotten away scot-free had there not been a, th a thumbprint as well, or the case could have been just lost in translation. Just over time, the, the case could disappear. Because imagine all the crimes and the amount of evidence that they have to store. I mean, you think about the town landfill and how big that is with everybody's trash. Imagine all the evidence that they have to keep from decades and decades of crimes just in case something pops up. I mean, I can't imagine what it looks like inside of a evidence room anywhere. And the person has to organize that stuff and go through it and protect it. Absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. But this has been uh, John List. John List, uh, the boogeyman of Westfield very tragic case kills his whole family and then proceeds to live a life for another 18 years as a free person but thankfully he was caught because like i said crimes like this you feel like it wouldn't have been hard for him to keep getting away with it had they not kept that evidence for 20 years right i mean to have the evidence on file to have the thumbprint to have anything tying this person to this crime scene Absolutely amazing. It's a great police work.